Hey folks, Andy Patton here to review a tough physical win the Zags picked up against San Francisco on Thursday evening. Big quad one victory for Gonzaga. I'm going to go over my five things to watch in the second segment before we preview Gonzaga's final regular season game against St. Mary's scheduled for Saturday. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. I want to thank all of you who make this podcast your first listen of the day, and those of you who have checked out the show on YouTube. YouTube channel is a fast-growing channel. We're trying to get to 500 subscribers before the end of the college basketball season, a game that will very hopefully feature the Gonzaga Bulldogs in it. Uh, We're about 360 subscribers right now, so if you are a listener to the show and you haven't done that yet, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked on Zags, hit that subscribe button. Very, very much appreciated. The Zags picked up a huge victory on Thursday night against the San Francisco Dons, one of the top 25 teams in the country per Ken Palm, a quad one victory in the net ratings. All of the the critical ingredients to keeping Gonzaga on the number one line in the West region never seemed super in doubt that the Zags would keep that, assuming they they continue to win, but obviously playing on the road against San Francisco and St. Mary's was no easy task. Uh, The Dons... They're a really good team. I, I'm not going to spend this entire time talking about that, but I mentioned it on Twitter. I can't imagine watching that game and seeing the first half that was very, very close throughout the game. Gonzaga did not struggle in the first half. Gonzaga has played a lot of games this year where they were not winning by a very large margin in the first half, and it was because they were playing poorly. This was not the case. Gonzaga shot well over 60% from the field in the first half. I thought they played fine defensively. They had some mistakes. They were not perfect, but they did not play bad defensively in the first half. They played very, very good offensively in the first half, had a handful of turnovers, nothing egregious, and they were barely winning. They ended up with a 10-point lead at halftime, which is not really indicative of what the first half looked like. It was like a five-point game, three to five-point game for the majority of the first half. The Zags went on a little run to bring it up to, I believe, a 13-point lead at one point. And then San Francisco hit a three in the closing seconds to make it a 10-point lead. It was a really, really close first half. And the the Zags got off to a great start to start the second half. The first four minutes in the second half were just about perfect from Mark Few. They made some adjustments. They came out. They punched San Francisco in the mouth. And the Dons continued to stay in it. They never really went away completely. And again, the takeaway for me, and I hope the takeaway for most of the people watching this, was that San Francisco is just dang good. I mean, they played as well as you would expect. I saw somebody, I believe it was Kevin Sweeney, former guest on the show, who tweeted this, that San Francisco played how you'd expect like an 8-9 team to play against the number one team in, in, you know, in, in the tournament. And that's I felt like that. Gonzaga's second round game will probably be somewhat similar to that. If anything, Gonzaga will win more handily than they did against San Francisco, potentially making it seem like San Francisco is a better team than that. Obviously, San Francisco is not going to get a higher seed than an 8-9 seed at this point. They will be lucky to make the NCAA tournament. They need 
need, need, need to pick up a victory against San Diego on Saturday. If they do that and they play well in the WCC tournament, I think they have a good chance. We'll have a lot more bubble talk in the next week as we get closer to Selection Sunday. But this San Francisco team is just good. Todd Golden's a good coach. Jamari Bowie didn't have a very efficient night, but he's still really, really good. Khalil Shabazz, who unfortunately suffered an injury in this game, uh, was phenomenal. One of the best games I have seen him play in a San Francisco uniform. The Don shot 50% from three, 11 for 22. The problem was their two-point field goal percentage was very bad. They shot 50% from three, but 41%, 41 41.5%, excuse me, for the game, which means they were just pitiful inside the two-point line. You can thank Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy a lot for that. Uh, You can also, in some ways, thank the referees. Uh, I rarely comment on officiating because I think that the commentary is usually not productive. (laughs) Discourse around referees and uh, announcers that people don't like is rarely a productive conversation. Uh, And I also think that referees are rarely so biased one way or another. But this game, that wasn't the case. They were just not good. It was a poorly officiated game. There's really no other way to look at this game. They swallowed their whistles, which I'm generally in favor of a more of refs allowing teams to be more physical, but this was way too much. <laughs> it was and it got people hurt. Khalil Shabazz suffered an injury because Andrew Nempard inadvertently hit him in the face with an elbow and broke his nose. It was an unfortunate scene for anybody who watched the game. It was it was pretty graphic. Shabazz was was hurt. He was hurting pretty good. There was blood on the floor. It was an unpleasant scene. It was very clearly not Nembhard's fault, very clearly unintentional. I understand why they called the flagrant foul. I'm not I'm not mad that they called the flagrant foul after reviewing it because he hit him in the face with an elbow. That is what that rule is there for. But Nembhard was getting mauled. By, uh, he, I cannot believe that they didn't call a foul on that play before that. It was just very poor officiating. There were multiple other instances on both sides where guys just got hammered. Drew Timmy blatantly traveled multiple times and didn't get called for it. It was a poorly officiated game. I haven't thought that the WCC refs have been that bad this year. It hasn't been as primary of a talking point as it's been in years past, which I think is a good thing. But this game was was not well done. And, and it was it, to the point where it's very... I really hope Shabazz is able to play against San Diego. I really hope he doesn't miss time. I know Nemhard probably feels terrible about what happened because it was very clearly unintentional. But just a, a scary scene and one that was completely avoidable had the referees had more control over this game couple more things before we get into the five things to watch in the second segment. Chet Holmgren was just an absolute machine in this game. It, it's, it's, it's like we run out of things to say about him. How many more times can I say the same things? He, he had 21 points on 8 of 12 shooting, another ridiculously efficient scoring game from Holmgren. He had 15 rebounds in a game with Yuhen Masalski on the other side, a phenomenal rebounding player, an excellent, excellent big man, one of the best big men in the WCC, probably the best big man in the WCC that is not on Gonzaga's roster. Uh, he, they were all defensive rebounds. This was one of the areas that Gonzaga kind of, they didn't get a lot of offensive rebounds. They also gave up a fair amount of offensive rebounds, particularly in the first half. That was probably their biggest challenge in the first half was was allowing USF to get too many second chance opportunities. Holmgren helped take care of that significantly by grabbing 15 defensive rebounds. He also had six blocks and three steals for good measure. He also had a couple of coast-to-coast plays. The the coast-to-coast two-handed slam was one of the greatest plays I've seen Chet Holmgren make, uh, and that list is getting very, very long 
at this point. If you haven't seen the highlight, if you missed the game, just go watch the highlight of this play. It was absolutely remarkable. I don't know how you're supposed to guard him when he does things like that. USF, you know, you could say, oh, well, you got to stop the ball. They tried. He just he just went around everybody. He's just so long and so skilled with the basketball in his hands and, and able to get around people, get through people, get to the rim with what looks like just effortless ease. And, and it's we're never going to see another player quite like this. He is he is so unique, so special, so skilled, so motivated to work hard. It's just it's a real treat to watch him every single game. There's no other way to put it and this game was was no exception to that. Drew Timmy, also a treat to watch him every single game. We've kind of talked about a few lulls that he's gone through at points this season, but he has been very, very good lately, and this was a remarkable performance from him. 20 points, 9 rebounds, career high, 8 assists. We were on triple-double watch with Drew Timmy, not something that happens all that often. Uh, Andrew Nemhard suffered some foul trouble in the first half and had to sit out for a significant chunk of the first half, all that meant is that Drew Timmy became the assist man. He was they weren't he wasn't running the offense in the sense that he was you know dribbling the ball up the court or anything, but they were facilitating three things through him in a, in a way that was kind of reminiscent of of Tim Duncan and the San Antonio Spurs a little bit. They were letting the offense run around him. He was finding open shooters. He was finding cutters to the rim. He was doing a little bit of everything. He threw an alley oop to Chet Holmgren. Just a great performance from Drew Timmy, not just scoring the basketball. He's 8 for 14 from the field, which is fantastic as well. Obviously, 20 points right around where, where you expect him to be. Nine rebounds is great for him. He's, a, he's always been a good rebounder, but he doesn't often get up into that you know double-digit territory. But nine boards for him was, was much needed in this game, a game where the Zags really needed to out-rebound San Francisco, and, and he was a huge part of that. And then, of course, Andrew Nempard can't not mention him. Yes, he sat out for a large chunk of the first half because of foul trouble. And yes, the most memorable thing about his performance this game was probably the the inadvertent elbow on Khalil Shabazz. But he finished with 17.6 assists, four rebounds. His pick and roll, I mentioned in a previous episode, I believe it was Thursday's episode, I was asked what I would do if there was 30 seconds left in a tie game, how I would try to get the last bucket. And I said a high pick and roll between Drew Timmy and Andrew Nembhard. They ran this play a handful of times in this game, and every time I think every time it resulted in a bucket. I remember it resulting in multiple scores, either by Drew Timmy. One time it was a little floater from Andrew Nembhard. They are so good in that pick-and-roll set. It's very, very difficult to defend. You can try to hedge it. You can try to drop coverage on it. Anything you try to do, the Zags have the ability to attack it, and Nembhard so rarely makes mistakes with the basketball in his hands. He finds the open shooter. He finds the roll man. He finds his open look. He's so smooth and skilled in those situations that it's very, very difficult for the Zags to not get off a good shot when they're running that play. And finally, the last player that I wanted to mention before we move into the second segment, uh, Julian Strother had a great game here, 15.7 rebounds. Somewhat quietly, he started off kind of hot, then was not a huge factor for a while, but then came back, had some nice buckets in the second half. The 15 and 7 is sort of, (laughs) it's almost what we expect from Strother at this point, but those are really, really nice, productive numbers and much needed. We talk about Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren, and Andrew Nempard a lot. We talk about their contributions, but the other two players on this team, the other two starters, obviously Strother and Rasir Bolton, are huge pieces of what Gonzaga does, both offensively and defensively. Bolton had nine points in this one as well, a nice contributor. He played great defense as well, but Strother, 15.7 rebounds, like we shouldn't get complacent with those kinds of numbers from him because that is remarkable, really, really, really solid production from your you know third or fourth offensive option. 
All right, in the second segment, we're going to come back. We're going to detail the five things in particular I was watching for on Thursday, what kind of impact they had on this game. Before we do that, let's talk about today's sponsor, Run Your Pool. March Madness is only three weeks away. That means you need to start thinking now about where you're going to be running your brackets this year. Are you going for the usual or are you looking for the best? We've done our homework here and we're running brackets with runyourpool.com. Along with standard brackets, Run Your Pool offers game types like Survivor or Pick X. They have options to edit scoring and they offer more intel to make your picks. All the stuff you won't find at ESPN or CBS. If you've got a business, Run Your Pool can help take some of that March Madness magic and play alongside your employees or even gain customers. Plus, they offer full white glove customer support, custom branding, and one of the easiest three-minute setups you'll ever find. Clearly, we believe in Run Your Pool because, like I said, we're running our brackets there ourselves. There's no truer test than that. If you want to play against us for a shot at a cash prize, join us at runyourpool.com slash locked on. And while you're there, create your own pool for your friends and family. Enter Pure Madness at checkout for $10 off your custom pool. All the rules and details will be available there. That's runyourpool.com slash locked on for your chance to win a cash prize. We look forward to seeing and beating you there. Today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. This is the time of the year that I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. Have you tried the puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy, they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate. In fact, all Bilt Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Most Bilt Bars contain 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. They have mint brownie, coconut, and coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They're delicious, and new flavors are coming out all of the time. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, segment two. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're still reviewing Gonzaga's big quad one victory over the Dons of San Francisco on Thursday night. The first thing on my five things to watch was the question about how Gonzaga was going to guard Jamari Bouye, specifically if they were going to employ a face guard defensive strategy, something we've seen them do in the past where one player, they basically play four on four and they have one player who does not commit to playing any help defense and just is right in Bouye's grill. I didn't see that in this game. It's possible I missed it for a few possessions. What I did see was... They did put Hunter Salas on him. We'll talk about Salas in a second, but he played some good defensive minutes against Bouye. Jamari Bouye is really, really good. One of the best offensive players that Salas has defended all season long, and he did a very good job on him. Roz Bolton also got plenty of opportunities to defend him as well. Bouye had 14 points, not nearly as productive as he was the last time these two teams played. He shot 6 for 15 from the field, so an inefficient scoring night from Bolton. 14 points, 5, or excuse me, from Bouye. 14 points, 5 assists, obviously not a terrible game from Jamari Bouye. He played all 40 minutes, as I kind of expected him to do. But the Zags didn't quite attack him with as much on-ball defensive 
pressure as they have in the past, and it seemed to work better. Obviously, Gonzaga, or San Francisco got production from other players. Khalil Shabazz had 17 points. Misalski had a nice game as well. But they were able to kind of neutralize Bouye without having to use a really intense pressure-filled defensive strategy, which I think is a, a good thing for them and potentially more in line with what they're going to do in March. Hunter Salas, I want to talk about him in the second one here. He, he played 12 minutes in this one. The last time he played nine minutes against San Francisco. In the last game against Santa Clara, he only played eight minutes. So we're happy to see him getting a little bit more playing time. He still played the fewest minutes on the team, but the Zags only played eight players in this game. And Nolan Hickman, I believe, played 13 minutes. So it was not, a, not pretty much a negligible difference between Salas and Hickman in this one. Uh, Salas played great. The Zags had seven points off their bench for the entire game. Hunter Salas had all of them. He had seven points on three or four shooting. He knocked down a really nice three-pointer at a much-needed time for the Zags. He had a wide-open look, uh, just pulled the trigger immediately, which was a fantastic shot for him. Uh, his confidence as an outside shooter is clearly growing. The Zags' confidence in him to hit that shot is clearly growing as well, which is what you would hope for them. For, they've worked a long time on his outside shot and improving his form. And you can start—I mean, that, that shot was pretty— so you can start to see that coming coming along for him a little bit more. I didn't have any steals or rebounds, which is a little uncharacteristic for him. But again, I thought he played great on-ball defense on Jamari Bouye. He played good defense on Khalil Shabazz at times, too. And seven points in 12 minutes off the bench. We will take that every single time from Hunter Salas. The rest of the bench didn't play particularly well. So it was really nice to see Salas come in, give the Zags some good minutes, give them a little bit of an offensive boost, hit a key shot, and play solid defense. That's all you can really ask for him at this point with the role that he has. Uh, and he's filling it perfectly. Next up, the Timmy vs. Chet vs. Masalski matchup. Three great bigs, three of the most productive big men in the entire WCC. We already talked about Chet. He had 21 points, 8 of 12 shooting. We talked about Timmy, who nearly had a triple-double on 8 of 14 shooting. Masalski had himself a nice game, 14 points, 8 rebounds. 6 of 14 from the field, so not a super productive game from him. That is in part because Chet Holmgren had 6 blocks. <laughs> Did a very, very good job defending Masalski. A lot of those blocks were on him. Masalski had a couple really nice moves. He had an up and under where he finished around on the right side of the rim after blowing by Chet Holmgren, which doesn't happen all that often. And even when guys blow by Chet, he often has the length and the reach to still block the shot. Masalski finished on the other side of the rim with a nice bucket there. The kind of shot that reminds you how good he is. But he also had a lot of instances where he thought he beat Chet Holmgren and Chet still managed to block the shot uh, just because of his remarkable reach, his athleticism, and his just innate natural shot blocking ability. I like to see Chet play well against guys like Masalski. I don't know if he's a league guy necessarily, but he's one of the better bigs that Chet has faced so far in his collegiate career. And not that I had any doubt about his ability to play defense against better bigs, but it's still nice to see him be productive in that role as well. Masalski also had four blocks. He had a nice game defensively. Obviously, Chet and Timmy didn't struggle too much to score the basketball, uh, but they, they rarely do, <laughs> regardless of who is defending them. But Masalski still had a nice game on both ends of the floor. Next up, uh, the question was, will the outside shooting come back? Yes. The Zags really needed their outside shooting to be productive in this game. San Francisco is a tough team. You need to be on basically every facet of your game in order to beat them. The Zags shot 10 of 20 from three, 50% remarkably efficient game from them. Uh, Bolton was three for five. Bolton had a didn't do much offensively against San Francisco last time these two teams played. So for him to come out and knock down three threes was a significant part of the offensive game plan. Nemhard was two for three. Nice, efficient game from him. Chet, two for five. Strother. Also hit two threes, two for four from him, and then the aforementioned three from Hunter Salas as well. So when the Zags are making 50% of their threes, 
it's going to be hard for just about any team in the country to, to beat them. When the Zags are making 50% of their threes, Chet's shooting 66% from the field, and Drew Timmy's dropping 20, I don't know that anybody can beat them. I really don't. That, unless they play really poor defense with all of those numbers, then maybe they're going to lose a, a game like 92-90. to 90. But other than that, this team, when, when they're clicking like this offensively from the outside and in the paint, they're tough, tough, tough team to beat. And then the last thing I had on my list was whether BYU and St. Mary's are able to pick up victories. They did. Thankfully, BYU beat LMU quite handily, and St. Mary's beat USD. Both of them keep their tournament hopes alive. BYU is clicking on by a thread to potentially still be a team in the NCAA tournament. I think most brackets right now do not have them in the field, but they're still like one of the teams on the bubble who could make it. Uh, St. Mary's is pretty squarely in the field, quite frankly. I think the only way St. Mary's didn't make it was if they lost this game to San Diego. The fact that they won this game, even if they lose to Gonzaga on Saturday, even in, unless they lose in the first round of the WCC tournament, if they got, get upset by somebody not very good, that could maybe push them closer to the actual bubble. But I still think they're going to be pretty secure in a spot. If they don't beat Gonzaga, but they win their first game in the WCC tournament, that's probably enough for them to make it into the tournament. All right, folks, we're going to talk more about St. Mary's here in the third segment. We're going to preview the game. We're going to talk about my five things to watch. Saturday night in Moraga, it's going to be a senior night for the Gales, a big, emotional, exciting game. I'm excited for it. I'm a little nervous for it because St. Mary's is good. This is going to be a tough game for the Zags. We're going to preview it here in the third segment. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment three still. Andy Patton still locked on Zags. Still talking about those pesky quad one teams in the Bay. Moving away from talking about the San Francisco game on Thursday and previewing the St. Mary's Gales on Saturday night. Like I said, it's senior night in Moraga. The place is going to be bumping. I'm excited to see the atmosphere, the environment. That place is relentless against the Zags. I love it. The Zags need some teams who are going to come out there and just scream at them for 40 minutes. It's never a bad thing for them to endear. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity for Drew Timmy to cement himself as perhaps the most hated player in Gonzaga history, particularly down in Moraga. And that's the first thing I want to talk about on my five things to watch. Can the Gale stop Drew Timmy? History indicates no. Drew Timmy has dominated St. Mary's in his collegiate career. Randy Bennett has basically said, I do not know how to stop him. Randy Bennett, love him or hate him, mostly hate him, I know that, is a good defensive coach. This is his strength. His teams are usually some of the best in the country defensively. If he cannot figure out how to stop Drew Timmy, that is a tremendous compliment to Drew. Last time these two teams played, Timmy had 25 points on 11 of 16 shooting. He grabbed eight rebounds and dished out five assists for good measure. Just a, a great performance from him. If he's able to do anything close to that again, 
the Gales are just it's it's a huge struggle for them because they have size. It's they're not super undersized like a lot of the other teams in the WCC. Matthias Toss is a big dude. Dan Foto is not super tall, but he's a big dude as well. Mitchell Saxon comes off the bench. He's six foot eleven. They got some size. They got some dudes who can kind of push people around a little bit, but they just haven't been able to stop Drew Timmy. I think the focal point for is going to be him offensively. If St. Mary's does everything in their power to stop him, if they play relentless double-triple-team defense on him and really try to not even let him get the basketball, then I think the Zags will pivot. They'll go to Chet Holmgren. They'll go to the wings, Strother and Bolton, to try to get more, more points that way. We'll see what ends up happening. Randy Bennett, unless he comes up with a completely new strategy, I don't know that they're going to have the ability to stop Drew Timmy. I think it's going to be a big night for him down in Moraga. Next up, I'm going to be watching the bench. The bench hasn't been very good lately. This has been one of the few weak points for the Zags. I mentioned against San Francisco, the bench scored seven points for the Zags. All seven of those came from Hunter Salas. The last time Gonzaga played St. Mary's, the bench combined for just six points. Gonzaga only had 74 points in that game because St. Mary's is, is good defensively and takes a long time on their possessions, so it doesn't allow Gonzaga as many opportunities to score points. But still, only six points combined for the bench the last time out. Only seven points for the bench on Thursday. We're going to need to see more from these guys. Anton Watson has struggled the last few games. He did not have a good game against San Francisco. He committed some bad fouls. He missed all of his shots. He didn't get a lot of good looks. He just wasn't particularly comfortable in that game. The Zags did not need him because Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy each dropped 20. But this, this Gonzaga team is at their best when Anton Watson is contributing significantly off the bench. He did not do that against San Francisco. He has not done that a lot lately. We've seen a lot of ups and downs for Anton Watson this season. I've heaped a lot of praise on him throughout the season. I continue to believe that he's an underrated, extremely talented player on this team and going to be a force in the NCAA next year. But he is not immune to criticism and he is not immune to these struggling games. He's had some bad stretches throughout the year. Consistency from him is an issue and the Zags need him to be at his best when they get into March. And that starts now. It's not March yet, but that starts now. This is a big game for him. If he can come in, give them 9 to 10 points off the bench on 3 of 5, 4 of 5 shooting, uh, play really, really good defense on Toss or Foto or, or whomever he ends up guarding, that's going to be a big boost. The same with Nolan Hickman. He has not been quite himself, not quite as confident offensively. Had a couple of careless turnovers on Thursday, which is uncharacteristic for him. Having him come back in, hit a couple big shots facilitate the offense when Andrew Nembhardt is on the bench. Those are some big things I want to see from Hickman in this game as well. And Salas, of course, just keep doing what he's doing. He's been the bright spot on the bench lately. If he can come in, give them some really great energy defensively, hit a couple shots, grab a couple offensive rebounds, the kinds of stuff that he has done for this team all year long, that's going to help the Zags as well. Next up, can the defense keep St. Mary's uncomfortable? They sure as heck did last time these two teams played. The Gales only shot 39% from the field. The last time these two teams played, they shot 5 of 17 from 3. The only player who looked remotely comfortable offensively in that game was Tommy Cousy, who was 6 for 9 from the field, and I believe 3 for 5 or 2 for 5 from downtown. Uh, the Gales' entire setup is predicated on offensive efficiency. They hold opposing teams to very few possessions. They themselves take very few possessions. They don't get out in transition. They don't let the opposing team get out in transition. It's all half-court offense, and their goal is to just slow the game down to a crawl and then be more efficient than the opposing team. It's a strategy that works for them a lot, and it's the reason that they can beat good teams 
quite a quite often. It's why they, they're a, a team that I always think is going to be an NCAA tournament darling, but they're also capable of losing to a lot of bad teams. Because when this strategy doesn't work, the game gets real ugly and it's a little bit easier to beat them. Gonzaga, because they run so much and run, run, run and get so many possessions, it's a little they have to shoot very poorly to get defeated. The Gales if they shoot 5 from 17 from 3, if they shoot under 40% from the field, there's virtually no way they win this game. If they shoot under 48% from the field, I don't think they win. They got to shoot 50, 55% from the field. They got to shoot 40 plus percent from 3 uh, in order to have a chance to beat Gonzaga. If they don't do that, it's going to be another loss for Randy Bennett at home on senior night, which is not what they want. Uh, my X factor for this game is going to be Rasir Bolton. He's he's often listed as an X factor because he doesn't always get enough love for how imp- important he is to this team. Uh, he only had five points the last time these two teams played, two of seven shooting. So there's a chance the Gales are going to maybe overlook him a little bit, not consider him as big of a threat offensively uh, if they're channeling a lot of their defensive energy towards the post. Uh, which makes sense if they're channeling a lot of defensive energy towards Nemhard or even Strother because of their outside shooting. That could lead to Bolton getting a couple open looks. If he knocks down his first couple of threes, that changes the dynamic of this game significantly. It forces St. Mary's to respect him from the outside, put put a defensive player on him who's more defensively inclined. It could allow some more room for Groot Timmy to operate down low. I think he has a lot of experience in hostile road environments, which is something I'm, I'm taking into account. His experience at Penn State and Iowa State, he's, he's played in a lot of big arenas. He's played in a lot of places that are hostile and intense. I think that allows him to be maybe more comfortable in this environment for Gonzaga. I think there's a good chance if the Zags win this game handily, it's because Ros Bolton had himself a nice game. And my last thing, same thing as last week, or last game against San Diego, or excuse me, San Francisco, uh, we need BYU and USF to get victories. This is, this is a big, big weekend for the WCC. BYU is playing Pepperdine at 5 p.m. on ESPNU. USF is at San Diego. That game is at 2 p.m., and I do not know if it is televised, so we may not get an opportunity to watch that game. If San Francisco loses to San Diego, their NCAA tournament hopes are maybe not completely dead, but probably probably on life support at that point. BYU, if they lose to Pepperdine, their tournament hopes are gone. <laughs> that is it. These two teams need to win on Saturday. If BYU beats Pepperdine, if USF beats San Diego, they're much more likely to make the NCAA tournament. I still think BYU's on the outside looking in, even with a victory there, but it puts them in a spot where they maybe don't have to go all the way to the championship in the WCC tournament. They maybe don't have to beat Gonzaga and the WCCs in order to make the NCAA tournament. So I'm, I'm going to be watching both those games if I can. Hopefully I'll find a stream for that San Diego-San Francisco game. They're big, big performances for the WCC. If they pick up a pair of victories here, we can continue to hope, at least have our fingers crossed for the four-bid WCC, or at least feel significantly more confident about a three-bid WCC. That is going to do it for me today. Looking forward to a fun game on Saturday. You know, excited to be on Twitter interacting with all of you. We're checking next week for Mailbag Monday. Another exciting guest coming on the show next week as well as we get closer and closer to March. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Once again, thank you to those of you who have made this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. This show is brought to you by Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker, who bring you NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!